0: I do think that there is something profoundly queer and mystical in the image of God that all of us are born with.
1: Welcome to Queering Contemplation, a podcast about the intimate and innate ways contemplation is queer. These conversations will examine the ways contemplative life invites us into expressions beyond boxes and categories, moving us towards love, embodiment, liberation, delight, and wonder. I'm your host, Cassidy Hall, award-winning filmmaker, podcaster, and author of the forthcoming book, Queering Contemplation, Finding Queerness in the Roots and Future of Contemplative Spirituality. Welcome to the conversation. Dr. Miguel H. Diaz is the John Courtney Murray University Chair in Public Service at Loyola University, Chicago. He has served under President Barack Obama as the ninth U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See. He is the co-editor of the series Disruptive Cartographers, Doing Theology Latinamente. He is also the editor of the multi-authored volume, The Word Became Culture, and the author of the third volume, Queer God de Amor, from Fordham Press. As a public theologian, he regularly engages in print, radio, and television media. Well, Miguel, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great to talk with you.
0: Thank you, Cassidy, for inviting me.
1: One of the first ways I love to dive in is to ask you, how do you personally define and experience the word queer in your own life, spirituality, and work?
0: To me, the word queer, can be defined, from a certain point of view, one can think of, of its use in terms of a noun, one can think of, a, of its use in terms of an adjective, and one can think of its use as a verb. And it is that third one that I, I like to to think uh, governs and, and predominates my own um, way of thinking. And in this book, Queer God the Amor, which is part of a of a series, the Disrupted Cartographer series. It is that third use, verbal use, that that uh, predominates, in the sense that to queer for me is to disrupt. It is to um, to challenge the status quo and and to to do so in a way that brings about a more just um, understanding of human realities. And so queerness. For me, is associated with that uh, effort to constantly be questioning and constantly be disrupting uh, patterns and ways of thinking and being that may not be uh, liberating for members of our human family.
1: I love that to queer is to disrupt. That's yeah. And in your most recent work, Queer Goddamn War. You combine Latinx, LGBTQIA+, and Catholic theologies, noting the common threads of mysticism and mystical encounter. So I'm curious about what led you to this work personally. Have you always researched St. John of the Cross, for instance, or what was your connection to St. John of the Cross? And then um, have you always seen him as as a queer figure?
0: I tell my students that theology, all theology is contextual. A certain degree, it's also autobiographical, right? And so in our efforts to wrestle with, you know, with God's presence in our lives, um, and I call that maybe perhaps wrestling with angels uh, rather than with demons, but, you know, wrestling with the ways that God prompts us to uh, embrace life. In terms of my own wrestling, uh, I came across this 16th century Spanish mystic who writes about the dark nights, the Dark Knight, but he also writes about the living flame of love, and um many of us might miss um this twofold aspect of his spirituality, right? Um, and I think that that twofold aspect of his spirituality is very attractive in the sense that as human beings, we all go through these ups and downs, right? Um and at various stages of our lives we need to strip ourselves we need to detach ourselves from from that which stands in the way of god and so this book for me is not just theological in many ways taps into some of my my primary interest in theology the doctrine of the trinity but it is also uh, profoundly uh, personal in in the book's introduction, I explicitly state here I'm quoting from the book. This book was birthed from the personal struggle and from the experience of standing in solidarity with the struggles of numerous queer persons whom I have been privileged to meet in a company. Since I started the process of coming out to myself, family, and friends, coming out is not always as liberating as it's often as is often assumed to be. As anyone who has accompanied LGBTQ plus persons, in particularly brown and black body. Uh, bodies knows right? Cultural realities connected to my own Cuban background and my Catholic faith obstructed my journey of self-discovery and self-transparency. And as is the case for many queer persons, coming out involves an ongoing wrestling with the angels to reject powers and principalities that stand in the way of human flourishing and our ability to know and unite with God and neighbor. And so for me, this process um, that entails both a an embracing of the dark night so as to detach ourselves from everything that is not God. And then to come on the other side having gone through this 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 uh, level of of awakening and come to the other side with a different perspective on life, it's that second half of that other part of John's teaching that I, that oftentimes we don't talk significantly about, which is governed by that living flame of love and the you know that, that stage that enables communion with God and each other, but it does so in a different way because now you're able to see life um, differently, right? You're able to see now all things, put things in perspective and persons in perspective, and th- and see everything in God. It is that that deeply, because of my own journey of, of faith, um, as well as my journey, my theological journey. It is that which impacted and, and 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 largely contributed to the to choosing John of the Cross and and also to writing this book.
1: Yeah, and and for those listening who maybe um, are new to your work, are new to Saint John of the Cross. How would you maybe summarize what the book is about and a little bit more maybe about who uh, John on the Cross is.
0: The book is about the mystery of God. And to me, the mystery of God, as Christians understand this mystery, it's about relating divine and human life. And it's about relationships. It's about interpersonal relationships. It's about love. Um, And this mystic, particularly as in you know particularly in in his poems offers tremendous a tremendous resource for uh thinking about God in in erotic terms in highly in, in in ways that that tap into the experience of human sexuality the intimacy that occurs as a result of you know union with another person and so he's not shy about um drawing upon this experience to both explore the nature of god the reality of god who we are as human persons and to relate you know who god is with who we are called to become
1: yeah and i love what you say in the book you write that St. John on the Cross opens the door for understanding not only the erotic elements of mystical experiences, but also the mystical elements and erotic experiences. And can you share a little bit more about how his, his writing, his work, his life awakens this erotic elements and mystical experiences and how that can enliven us to maybe see uh, the erotic in everyday life?
0: En mi pecho florido, que entero para él solo guardaba, allí quedó dormido, y yo le regalaba, y el ventallé de cedros ahí estaba. On my flowering chest that I saved for him alone, there he fell asleep. As I caressed him, as the breezes from the cedars fanned our bodies. noche que guiaste, noche más amable, el alborada o que juntaste amado con amada amada en el amado transformada o night that guided o night more friendly than the dawn o night that joined lover and beloved transforming one into the other and then this following poem cantico spiritual so the the the, the first um two verses were from noche oscura dark night the following is from his spiritual canticle and you can see the very um sexual and erotic mourning after the divine lover um, in his opening lines salí tras de ti clamando y eras ido where have you hidden my beloved and there because of the Spanish use of the language beloved amado there's clearly a, a male lover right and left me mourning. as a stag you fled from me and left me wounded. I rushed out clamoring after you, but you had already departed. It's hard to read these poems, which, um, you know, and one and is widely known in the Spanish language as one of the greatest, its greatest poets, right? That Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, Spain has produced, right? So it's hard to read these poems and not be moved by the, the passionate words of the poet. Um, but also not be moved as a theologian, not be moved um, to think about uh, who God is and who we are called to be. And so, and that's why I draw upon these poems and in, in, in the poetic language, which for me, art and poetry are always open-ended. And therefore, uh, as many theologians have affirmed the closest we can come to the mystery of God. Uh, and why is that so? Because our tendencies are, it, it's always to box, uh, to place God in closets, right? And to limit um, the reality of God or the ways that God can be experienced among us and named among us. And and poems by their very nature are open-ended and therefore um, invite ongoing reinterpretation and his per- and his poems certainly do that and in particular they invite us to relate the life of God in human life through the language and the experience of human sexuality and Eros.
1: yeah thank you one thing I love about the way you're talking about it right now and the way John on the Cross writes is that he begins with the premise of queerness existing Right, And it's almost like we go backwards and and see the mysticism, the eroticism, and the spiritual aspects of it. Uh, But so many times, that isn't kind of the route things go. And I'm thinking right now, I believe it's Dr. Tonstad, who, who kind of talks about beginning with the premise of innate belonging as opposed to apologetics. And that's one thing that I think John on the Cross invites us into is this fullness of self. Uh, in all of our erotic ways and being just innately belonging innately existing, and inviting the ways that we can maybe you know connect with God or go deeper with the divine in in unique ways related to to our existence
0: you know when i when I say something like, I read Juan as a very queer, mystic. You know, people might say, what do you mean? I mean, these two terms, queer and mystic, right? Um, And I get that. I then offer, you know, the possibility of saying, okay, consider what mystics do, right? Consider what mystics want us to do, which is to not settle into idolatry, right, Um, to embrace this innate desire that we have for the infinite, but for an infinite mystery, for an infinite God who is mystery that defies all kinds of expectations, um, definitions, um, efforts to Limit, you know that that reality, and so in that sense, and from that perspective, I think that engaging mystics and, and in this case engaging Juan de la Cruz, um, it's almost a natural ally, you know, um, regardless of what his own sexual orientation, gender identity, etc. Was this isn't the point here, and I'm not in any at any point in the book say, well, Juan de la Cruz is queer in in the sense of of a very limited you know sexual gender uh, understanding. Uh, I say Juan de la Cruz is weird queer in the sense that it is used that queer theology queer theory has been critically embraced as a again to go back to how we started the conversation as as this disruptive practice that questions and does not settle for easy answers, binaries, black, white, um, documented, undocumented, uh, male, female, straight, gay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I do think that there is something profoundly queer and mystical in the image of God. That all of us are born with, and it is that kind of of thirst to know more, of not being settled, of that kind of that this dynamic, fluid, and ever open ended reality that that we have been created in, in the image of. Um, you know, by nature, we too are. <laughs> Mystery. We, we too, are that open-ended poem created in God's image. I think we are, by nature, dynamic creatures, fluid, um, intended to be open, uh, to be recreated again and again and again as a result of human relationships and our relationships and our relationship to God that is mediated in and through those relationships.
1: Yeah. Infinite desire, infinite mystery. I love that. The almost insatiable image that gives me.
0: Our hearts are restless, Lord Augustine, right, in his confessions until they rest in God. But Eros is also something very human that taps into that restlessness, right? Um, and for me, it is one of those human experiences, right? So, Eros and sexuality is, is my. Former mentor uh, who passed away way too young, Catherine mallory Lacuna would say, you know, that you know, sexuality is this capacity that we have inscribed in us by our creator to to relate. Broadly understood sexuality is this human capacity uh, for ecstasies, right? To give and receive from others. And of course, there are different ways in which in which we as sexual beings embody that capacity to relate, to give and to receive for others. And certainly, if we are going to uh, acknowledge an omnipresent God, we also should acknowledge that omnipresence in an omnisexual way. And certainly, that uh, we can't keep that uh, God from um, the experience of sexuality and the in the bedroom.
1: Mm, amen. Other things you wrote about really awoke my spiritual and queer imagination. And I loved when you wrote about how some contemporary theologies disrupt traditional God talk by tapping into diverse human experiences, and that these theologies retrieve, critique, reconcile these sources in ways that liberate God talk from the closet of limiting theological constructions. And in this way, I experienced your work as a continual invitation into this liberation. And I wonder if you could share more about your experience with this liberative language and expression perhaps especially in a catholic context when often we see this kind of kind of expression being dismissed oppressed or otherwise shamed
0: so one of the key arguments that i hope readers can get out of this book is it is in, in in some ways or in many ways or the book's central argument is is incarnational right it's about The central teaching of Christian faith that proclaims that God becomes human, that God becomes one of us, that God, by the power of the Spirit, continues to abide with us. That humanity, that, that humanity of God invites me to continue to discern God's presence all around me. You know, in Genesis, that uh, tells us that God created us in God's image. We turn that around and we have the temptation at times is more than a temptation. We actually turn that around and say that everybody is everybody's been created in my image. And there therefore, that opens the door to idolatry because there is that uh, this other aspect. You know, discerning that presence means that we need to allow for a wide range of human experiences to speak about the mystery of God. And to turn to a wide range of human experiences that can help us um, expand our imagination and horizon when it comes to that to that mystery. In 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 the perspectives that that come from um and so she who is the mystery of God in feminist theological discourse, the disabled God towards the liberation theology of disability, the cross and the lynching tree, uh James Cohn uh, famous text bringing together, inviting us to consider the public lynching of Jesus with the public lynchings of black bodies. All of these efforts are attempting to, you know, to invite us to consider how God is present among and how uh, among particular communities, particularly communities that are marginalized and oppressed, and how this mystery can be named From within those experiences. And I think that the trick is, Cassidy, not to then allow for any experience to be the only experience, right, and to be the last theological word. My book is one among thousands of perspectives, uh, invitations to consider um, naming the mystery of God. It is not the perspective on God, and it is not even the queer perspective on god uh it is not even the queer male's perspective on god it is it is a perspective and if it's going to serve some good it's it's going to serve the good of opening up the imaginations of queer persons and other persons of faith or of no faith at all uh to ponder how it is that religion has uh, something to contribute. Yeah, and, and to your points,
1: you know, about your work not being, you know, the only perspective or the perspective. I'm I'm thinking about how queerness and queering things invites us into that infinite spaciousness. In your book, you you point to that in the ways that, you know, your book, Queer God De doesn't just queer Saint John on the cross, his intimacy with God, with Christ with the divine, but also reveals the innate queerness of his work and life, the oddity, the uniqueness, the, the, the mystical, you know, existence of his life. In this way, right, queerness is an invitation to all of us, to all of our spiritualities.
0: From the perspective of the practice of hospitality, I would think that queering invites hospitality, right? it invites in one of the chapters in the book on the ecstasis you know divine and human i explore this notion of the human person as a, uh as an ecstatic being in the image of the divine persons as as ecstatic as other oriented at our best we are called to open up spaces right create spaces inclusive spaces of conversation of 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 um of thinking and being in the world and so like like all human words words need to be contextualized to engage in conversation <laughs> um to offer you know and, and and certainly this is the case with the word queer to offer persons an understanding of how this word and how in in how its its richness can can contribute, no, so its rich meaning can contribute not just to queer persons and their queer experiences, but to, you know, to all of us to understand that, that in fact, we are all called to be queer. And that's why the words queer and God come together because God is the queerest of all realities, right? Uh, precisely because, you know, of this ineffability, and if that's the case, then why do we resist, you know, calling ourselves queer or embracing this term, when in fact, to me at least, this is at the center of, you know, the Christian theological tradition. We may not have used the term before; we may not use it. We may not use God and queer in our in our daily uh, conversations, but I think that once persons understand why it is that those two come together, my instinct is that there is the uh aha. Now I can see why it is that, in fact, you know, these these two make sense. These two terms make sense, God and queer, to bring them together, particularly in a theological uh, conversation.
1: Yeah. And back to what you said earlier. Well, what you just said now, right? We were all called to be queer, and God is the queerest of all our realities.
0: To add to you know to this, so we have the the God piece, and and my argument that you know God is the queerest of all realities. The the mystery of God is by nature queer in that sense. But also, you know, drawing from the mystical theological tradition, and in particular from John of the Cross, you know, mystics are are persons who commit themselves to practicing this kind of detachment from all that masquerades itself as god right setting aside all that stands in the way of union with god and our neighbors and rejecting humanly constructed idols in order to rediscover all persons and things in god and sometimes those idols can masquerade themselves as good things right or or you know, images or practices that are not necessarily bad. My own my own coming to terms with my queerness and my coming out meant that I had to set aside, um detach myself from a number of persons' experiences, et cetera, that in my life had sustained me uh, at different times in many ways. But I had to come to terms with the fact that even those good things were not God and that God was calling me personally and intellectually in, into another space, into another way of being and thinking, in, into embracing an aspect of my humanity that was too, for me, too scary to embrace. Um, and, and, and once that happened, it's not like I had to reject everything that was part of my life It's just that again I saw those persons' experiences and things in a new light. There were some things that I have come to reject, and and um and I think that they're very oppressive. And losing, you know, heteronormative privilege is is uh, made me much more aware than I have ever been before of the kind of Presuppositions of the kinds of things that shape our angle of vision and our human experiences that would otherwise not have been uh, within my angle of vision had I not come out, or they wouldn't have been in the same way. And, and I think that experiencing that dark night and that entering into my into vulnerability and into that kind of self-disclosure and 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 then coming out to myself and others was definitely a part of this spiritual um process that really inspired and brought me to this point of being able to write about theologically our queer God De.
1: I really appreciate what you said about mystical encounter being this kind of detachment and stripping of anything that's not of God. and then also, Right. Mystical expression as this, it's innately queer by its, its uniqueness. Those things come together and bring us closer to, not only to the divine, but also to our true selves and also to the present moment. You know, all of it is this invitation into the deepest relational now we can possibly
0: be in. And in the intersectionality of, because as a Latino um, you know, male, I also have experienced you know other forms of prejudice or other other expressions of what I would now see as idolatrous behaviors right around me right um, and I think that that this is the other piece too, is that we are complex creatures, the different dimensions of our lives, race, cultural sexuality, gender identities, et cetera, um, social locations, education, all these things are interwoven and 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 impact us in different ways and at different times, and and can be used, you know, against us or can be in in different contexts and settings, occasions for um self-empowerment or empowering of others. And so it's not an easy you know, and that's because we're, you know, it's not so easy to sort of like say, okay, well, we're going to tackle this and 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 here is the perfect way to bring all of this together. Um, well, no, I mean, I think I've been dealing with my hybridity as a Cuban-American for a long time, but I didn't quite deal with another aspect of my hybridity. And depending upon what context I'm in and continue to be in, in different parts of the country or different parts even of the city of Chicago, or even different parts of, you know, the places where I serve and work, you know, I feel much more comfortable coming out um, in one of these aspects of myself than in others. And so, you know, I've also come to understand the closet in a broader sense, right? I've come to paradoxically and insightfully, you know, coming out of the closet has also taught me more about the different other coming out of the closet from a sexual perspective, uh, sexual orientation perspective has also taught me how I have lived and continue to live in various other closets, and how you know these these socially constructed realities around me constantly, you know, are weighing down and preventing the full expression of myself as a. As a human being with with all of these different aspects. And so we are complicated creatures and we tend to define and limit and, and understand realities in a single one track mind with a one-track mind. And it's not it's not that that easy. And so the racial, the cultural, the sexual, the gender, all those things come together. The sometimes in one area I may be privileged, but not in another area, depending upon what context I'm in. You know, they might say, well, he's the former ambassador. You know, he is, you know, he's got this power. But in fact, from the perspective of sexual privilege, that's not the case, particularly in certain contexts within religious contexts, for instance, uh, or familial contexts or cultural contexts. And so I I think we really need to think through these uh, complex realities much more than we do and, and to encounter concrete persons and their stories much more than we do Uh, rather than to start with the generalization or abstraction of you know um, that's another aspect of queer theory and queer theology that i love is the resistance to essentialism and to essentializing and to you know to try to put a one shoe fits all in terms of human experiences
1: and to that point are there any other contemplatives or mystics that you would point to as these kind of, you know, uh, closet breakers and these, you know, queer, queer figures that can teach us?
0: You know, the, the list is endless, right, for all of us. And sometimes these persons, or I, I would venture to say that these persons live all around us, right? These are mystics. The great theologian Carl Rahner once wrote that the Christian of the future would be a mystic or would cease being a Christian at all, you know, in in terms of his Ignation uh, spirituality, you know, by that he meant that we're called to to really uh, discern the presence of God in you know, persons and things, etc. So from that perspective, there are so many mystics around us, right? Um, and sometimes um, they're not recognized because oh, they're political figures or oh, they're too much concern with denouncing social economic idolatries or oh well they're concerned with gender issues or all they're concerned with issues of the environment or war and peace to me all those voices are essential in in drawing out an aspect of god's presence in creaturely realities right but ultimately (laughs) From a Christian theological perspective, I have to say that the, you know, the greatest of all mystics and disruptor is uh, Jesus himself, right? The ways in which he challenged rigid categories, social, cultural, religious constructions of the self point to his disruptive thinking and activity as the scriptures uh, witness you know his interactions with the woman at the well the Samaritan woman his parables the good samaritan you know it's fascinating to read these stories and to see that in fact he was the embodiment of of god's queerness of our queer god the amor he was in fact punished for that kind of expansion of our imagination, religious, cultural, and in, uh, in 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 various other ways. And so um I think that for for at least from a Christian perspective, a Christian theologian, a mystic, any one of us who claims that that identity is called to be a disruptor, right? It's called not to settle for prejudice, for the status quo, in whatever way, shape or form that prejudice manifests itself. I like to think that this book may be new in in terms of his ideas in some ways, but I like to also think that it is so thoroughly grounded in Christian tradition, imagination, and in particular, the life of Christ.
1: Well, Dr. Diaz, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and thank you for your work in the world and uh, for being willing to join me today.
0: Thank you for this tremendous opportunity to engage you in conversation and blessings on the, on the work that you do you know, to open minds and hearts to the mystery of God.
1: Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's episode. To support this work and get sneak peeks of new episodes, join me at patreon.com slash Cassidy Hall. You can also learn more about me and my work at CassidyHall.com. This podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Cassidy Hall. Today's episode features the song Into the Deep by Daniele Musto. The podcast is created in partnership with The Christian Century, a progressive ecumenical magazine based in Chicago. You can find out more at ChristianCentury.org. The podcast is also created in partnership with Enfleshed, an organization focused on spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. For liturgical resources and tools, head over to infleshed.com.